This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, back after a lively Easter Sunday evening, joined by Jonathan Wilson and Martin Lawrence from Who Scored, one of them guys, to talk about the Premier League action coming up midweek. How are we both? Hopefully better than me. Not sure, to be honest. Uh, you, you mean you're <laughs> Not particularly illness. well the last few weeks. This is rife in your house. Yes, I'm on the Oh, I've got the worst. Like, I've, I've yeah. struggled, with a, struggled with a printer, like the most infuriating thing in the world. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's worse. That's what worse. do you mean you don't recognise it? You recognise it yesterday. You're sitting 18 inches away. Just have a look. <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest problem that anyone has in the world at the moment. Jonathan's printer not working. Martin, let's start then. Premier League team of the weekend. Obviously, we didn't do a show looking at the games at the weekend, but we are going to look back at them now. What's the team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's probably not a surprising goal. Fraser Forster in goal made six saves on route to that clean sheet against Arsenal. The save against uh, Saka when he was coming back across his goal. Outstanding. Alex McCarthy's actually come back to fitness uh, now, but he'll do well to get his way back into the team, especially after that game. Uh, the right back uh, is actually a centre back, but he did play right back. Uh, Christopher Ayer of Brentford, got an assist for that first goal in their 2-1 win over Watford, completed all three of his tackles in that game. Another goal-scoring centre-back uh, goal scoring centre back, uh, in Jan Bednarek. Uh, he was obviously the match winner against Arsenal. He also made five interceptions. He's now the top-scoring centre-back in the Premier League with four. Uh, he's joined by another goal-scoring centre-back in Pontus Janssen. He got the match winner in that Watford game. And the left-back is Matty Target. Really enjoying himself at Newcastle. He's had quite the turnaround. With Villa dropping off Newcastle, uh, picking up massively since he signed. Uh, completed all four of his tackles, won all three of his aerial duels, four interceptions. He's had a real sort of stabilising impact on their defence. Uh, across the midfield, we've got Alanga on the right. His first ever assist, uh, Ronaldo, uh, very kind of him to invite him to see you with him uh, at the weekend. Uh, he also made four tackles, and obviously we'll come on to it later. Uh, Ranić uh, was quite upset about Manchester United's lack of defending, but Alanga certainly played his part. Uh, in midfield, Bruno Guimaraes, uh, match-winning brace for him, of course, uh, including that last, last gasp winner. Uh, four shots, all on target, three dribbles, four tackles. He's really the sort of all-round midfielder that they expected to be signing, and now he's he looks a class apart, really. Uh, and another January signing in midfield, Christian Eriksen, who, to my mind, he's he's done, he's surprised me. Obviously, it's, it's a great story that he's come back and done so well. But to to, to re- return to form so quickly, uh, I've been really impressed. Obviously, got the assist for the winner, three uh, shots, three key passes in that win over Watford. On the left, it's actually Jaden Sancho, uh, completed four dribbles, three shots, three key passes in the win over Norwich. Uh, Timo Puki is up front. You've got a goal and assist. Four shots, 100% pass accuracy in that game as well. He was a real handful for Man United. And uh, completing the team, unsurprisingly, Cristiano Ronaldo with his hat-trick, courtesy of Tim Krull's chocolate wrists. Uh, eight shots in that game. But yeah, another hat-trick for Ronaldo. So he is the top-rated player in the team of the week this week. Jonathan, thoughts on that team? Anything you'd like to explore? Um... Two goals against Norwich really count. <laughs> two, two goals against Manchester United really count. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. yeah. 
There's quite a lot of Man United and Norwich players in that game, uh, in that team uh, from a pretty poor game. But yeah, it was uh, it was good for my fantasy football team. You'll be pleased to know, Jonathan. Delighted. Ronaldo, captain, hat trick. Just what just what you want to say. Fraser Forst is an interesting one. I was finding a bizarre goalkeeper. Because when I watch him, he looks quite awkward and he lets in things that I always think he should say. But then he did pull off some great saves at the weekend. England's Fraser Forster because he was in the last squad, wasn't he? The goalkeeping situation for England after Pickford. And I think Pickford has done enough this season to sort of cement his position. I think those wobbles we saw last season haven't really been there this season. Uh, I mean, you know, he could end up getting relegated with two teams who've won 15 league titles between them. Um <laughs> Having gone down with Sunderland, um, but yeah, I, I think Pickford is is sort of nailed on to be number one at the World Cup, barring some catastrophic drop off in form in the autumn. But behind him, I don't think it's obvious at all. Ramsdale. Um, well, yeah, but Ramsdale, I think, looked a little. I mean, the thing with Ramsdale is he, yeah. he he's the nearest like for like replacement for Pickford. Clearly, Pickford's distribution is one of the things that that, that gives him the edge. But Ramsdale has, after a great start of the season, he has dropped off a bit. Um, yeah, Pope obviously had a, had a great game uh, yesterday. Um, Forster's playing well, uh, so there are there are options there. Butland, uh, you know, he, he sort of seems to be uh, coming back after a, a slightly rocky rocky spell. So, Dean Henderson needs a move, doesn't he? Well, he's just not playing, it's is he? That's the squad, problem. Yeah, yeah. He and, and, and he's sort of been scuppered by United being rubbish in the cups, so he's not, yeah. he's not even getting that exposure. That they've gone out of the cups so early, both both of them that. Yeah, you know, he's sort of been forgotten about. I mean, I literally did forget about him there. He wasn't. <laughs> I list. thought you might have. Well, let's Sam talk about Johnston as well. Sam Johnson. Yeah, needs yeah, a move yeah. as well. And one, he needs a he's move. He's on a free, isn't he? At the end of the season, yeah, he will. Be. See where he goes. I think he'll go somewhere and be back up. I reckon a number two yeah. goalkeeper to a, t- a top team. I don't know where though. I couldn't tell you where he's going to go. Let's talk about rubbish Manchester United then, as they visit Anfield this midweek round of fixtures. Though obviously, rubbish Manchester United did beat Norwich three two at the weekend. Let's start with Liverpool. They put Paul in Starby, of course, this. Mo Salah, Jonathan, a little bit of a, what's that, a little bit? It feels like quite a heavy drop-off now. It feels like it's been a while since I've seen him have a good game. It feels like a while since he, he scored, particularly from open play. At one point, it's you just said games, he was in... Uh, yeah. Is it, yeah, is it 12, 12 appearances, games? sorry. 12 appearances without a goal? Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. I didn't realise oh, it, it, it was, I didn't realize it was that he's, hard. He's got a penalty in that time. Yeah, that's but Yeah, so, yeah, yeah that, only, is, that only, is a drop-off. Yeah, he's only scored two moment plays since he came back from the Cup of Nations, where I don't think it was really his fault of the Cup of Nations. I think the way Egypt played uh, under Kieros was was pretty miserable. He ended up sort of wandering around up front by himself, not getting any service, not getting any support, nobody running beyond him, nobody creating space for him. Um, he's also had uh, the World Cup playoff defeat to Senegal, so, so he's had those two disappointments as well. But yeah, I think having... Yeah, the, the start of the season, I was sort of thinking this is as good as I've ever seen him, uh, and there has been there has been a regression since. And I, I wonder whether he'll even start this game. I mean, Liverpool have options now, and maybe it makes sense to give him a bit of a break and uh, use some of those other options. Is his drop off catastrophic enough to stop him from winning the Player of the Year, Martin? Well, he's still our top rated player, but the, the gap has sort of narrowed substantially. So before he went off to Afcon, his rating was seven point eight two. Uh, he was uh, 0.19 clear of Trent at the time, uh, but 0.47 clear of Cancelo and 0.62 clear of De Bruyne. I think those are the three players that could potentially challenge him, in in my mind at least. 
Uh, that gap's now down to 0.08 to Trent, 0.19 to De Bruyne. So that gap in particular has really closed. And I think De Bruyne is the sort of second favourite with the bookies to to win the win the awards, certainly if if Man City go on to to win the league. And like Jonathan says, yeah, only two goals from open play um, in 2022 in the Premier League. That's the same as Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, so, yeah, not great. His last three goals have all been penalties. Um, but yeah, his stats haven't really dropped off. Like his sort of underlying stats haven't dropped off a huge amount. It's actually, and maybe quite worryingly, actually averaging more shots per ninety since he came back from Afghan than he did before. Um, but his finishing's just gone to pot. So his conversion rates dropped from twenty three point two to just eight point nine percent in that time, and his ratings dropped from seven point eight zero to seven point one two. Uh, post Afcon, so yeah, it is a very big drop off. I think if Liverpool win the league, I, I do think he still he still he still gets it just because of those goals and assists that he's racked up. But if it goes to Man City, then it'll be a close one. I think his drop off hasn't been big enough though to affect Liverpool, Jonathan. They're, they're absolutely ruthless at the moment. That they're the ones that feel like they've really got the momentum. I mean, yes, I don't think they've been that great actually since the international break. Yeah, I don't think either game against Benfica, they were at their best. I think a bit sloppy, both of those. I mean, comfortably the better side, but a bit sloppy in those two games. Um, against City, the first half, they were in the league game, so they they were, were definitely second best. And, you know, came back into it second half. And, but I sort of, I mean, you know, Guardiola said as well, didn't he, that, that he, he ended up feeling that was a missed opportunity for City. Um, they're definitely the better side on on Sunday in the in the in, on sorry on Saturday, on Saturday in the cup semi, but City made a lot of changes and they'd come through two games against Atletico, Liverpool were being able to rotate players in second against Benfica, so it wasn't yeah I don't want to say it wasn't a fair contest uh, yeah that, that, that's 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 not right either but there were reasons why City weren't quite at the level that they they ought to be so. Uh, I don't know. I, I I think they were they were looking better before the international break, but you know they've they they, they they've uh, what uh, well, two wins, two draws, one of those draws in a the second leg of a um, of a tie they won, and the other draw away at City. But their results have been fine, but I, I don't think performances have been have been that great. I mean, you know, just on this point of Salah and Player of the Year, it partly depends which Player of the Year you're talking about because the PFA. Uh, the voting is done really early. In fact, the voting may already have been done. Mm. So the drop-off might not matter there. The football writers, I think that's quite early this year. I think the the awards are about a month from now. Uh, so we may not even know who's won the league. It, sh- it shouldn't matter, to be honest, who's won the league. It's not about who's won the league. It's about who's been the best player. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure who wins the league will actually affect it, just because we might not know when the voting's done. Interesting. I'm putting more money on Trent. I, I think Trent deserves it. Well, I, 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 think, I think he's been the best Liverpool player this season, Alexander. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he maybe hasn't reached the absolute highs that, uh, that Salah has, but I think in terms of consistency, I, I'd say yeah, he's 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 been the best. Yeah, and talking of consistency, Manchester United are quite consistent in their bizarreness. And Ralph Ranić has said that they're the only team in the league that can see due to a lack of effort and aggression in their defending. Martin, what did you make of those comments? I think he's just calling it as it is. It's it. That sort of position that he's in is just enabling him to be completely honest. And what he sees is a is a lack of effort under his tenure. Uh, and he maybe he feels that there's a sort of personal issue there so like the, the players haven't really taken to him but it does bear out in the stats <laughs> so since he took charge Manchester United have made the fewest tackles 
and have the lowest tackle completion rate in the Premier League. Uh, and that's what you're talking about. It's not necessarily just tackles, but they just let players run past them. Uh, and and they've done that. They did that under Solskjaer, to be fair. Like, a lot of their problems were in the centre of midfield and they were just too easy to, to run past. But he hasn't changed that at all. And it's now becoming an issue all, all over the pitch, really. So, yeah, fewest tackles and lowest tackle completion rate under under Ranić when when he was sort of chosen to come in and install this high press and this intensity and it's if anything it's fallen off even further and the fact that they're in the even in the de- debate for finishing fourth is laughable like it's embarrassing it's it, it is it genuinely is it's kind of a little bit David Brent Manchester United defence slugs with no personality it just, it just felt like he's kind of gone a little bit David Brent there uh, Jonathan Manchester United midfield selection at the weekend. I saw that team, that central midfield area, and just laughed. I know Fred and McTominay are absent at the moment, but a central midfield three of Bruno Fernandes, Jesse Lingard and Paul Pogba. I mean, the, the, the defence, you can point the finger at the more you like, but you're always going to be open when you've got a midfield like that. Yeah, um, that's <laughs> yeah. we knew that in the summer. We knew last year that they needed to sign Declan Rice. But, uh, we know that Solskjaer wanted to sign Declan Rice and he was told there was no money, we'll, we'll wait till next year. And sort of grudgingly accepted that. And then they go and blow the budget on Ronaldo. So it's just, yeah, yet again, the stupidity at the top of the club uh, that they haven't strengthened, yeah, they haven't strengthened the glamorous area. You know, it, it's, it's not a glamorous area, so they haven't bothered to invest the money there because they, they, you know, they don't really understand um, that you need destroyers as well as uh, people who score goals and do flashy things. So when, when the two who are competent there, are out, you've got big problems. Uh, maybe that's unfair on Matic, but Matic is, is old. You know. He can't run. Yeah, he, he can play the odd game here and there, but you can't expect him to play uh, yeah, every match. And I, I guess Rangnick's logic was, well, well, we'll leave Matic out for Norwich because we should be good enough to beat Norwich without him, but we'll, we'll need him for Liverpool. Um, but, you know, what, what's happened to United's academy? They haven't got a kid coming through who could play there. Um, yeah, Pogba, we shouldn't forget, did win the World Cup playing at the back of midfield, but somehow he can't do it for United because he hasn't got Kante sitting alongside him telling mm. him what to do and, and keeping him keeping him honest. So, I mean, I think that's it's a, I mean, it's an indictment of everything, isn't it? Everything that's wrong with the club. They haven't signed the right players. They've got a lack of depth there. The squad's misshapen. And then Pogba can't be bothered to do it. He clearly does know how to do it. He can do it. He might not want to do it regularly, but surely he could do it you know, in extremis when, when the other two players you could play there are out, but seems incapable of, of doing that. Yeah, you should be able to do it against Norwich as well if you're going to do it against anyone there. I mean, they did okay, didn't they? But they are a poor side, let's be completely honest about it. Martin, well, they let, let in two and um, Rashidza nearly, nearly made it three. Yeah, Nor- Norwich, so Norwich, that, that's not okay against Norwich. That's, that's think, unacceptable against Norwich. Yeah, I think the point about uh, having someone in the academy is really pertinent as well you put someone in who who is going to run for their life basically and that's what you had with Scott McTominay when he was first brought in he wasn't he wasn't a highlighted as a star of the future at Manchester United in the academy and he just came in and he just worked and Mourinho loved him just because he did what he, was, he did what he was told and they needed that at the time and maybe that's what they need now like I don't see a world in which this game if they unless they go to a back five and try and just make it as respectable as possible. I don't see a world in this game where they don't get absolutely battered, personally. Yeah, I, 
I mean, they got, they've already been battered once by Liverpool this season as well, and that was a relative strength. You know, they're, they're not at strength mm. at all at the moment. They've got Garner, haven't they, on loan at Forest, who perhaps could have done a job at the, at the back of midfield, but obviously he's on loan, so he's not going to play there, so it's pointless me discussing that. We've got a bet builder for this game, Martin. We do, and it looks quite juicy to me. Um, like I said, I don't see a world in which Liverpool don't win this quite comfortably. So the first leg that we've got is Liverpool to score three or more goals. Uh, they've got 11 goals in the last four. Those four have all come against Man City and Benfica. So strong opposition. Scored three goals in, in three of those games. Uh, they've scored nine in their last two against Manchester United. So, yeah, it starts with Liverpool to score three plus goals. Uh, Diogo Jota to score. Slight risk, obviously, uh, picking a Liverpool forward. But where he didn't play against Man City, I, I would expect him to come back in for this one. Uh, he scored in five of his last seven starts. And he's got four goals against Manchester United in his career. He's also never lost against Manchester United in his career, despite playing them five times, I think, for Wolves. Never lost against Manchester United. Uh, and then we've got Paul Pogba and Matic to be carded. Like Jonathan says, I don't see how Matic can't start this game. Um, uh, Pogba, most fouls per game in the Premier League this season still. He was obviously sent off in the reverse fixture. And I just think uh, there's not a huge amount of stats to back up that Matic one, but I just think where he is so immobile... Uh, he will struggle to contend with that Liverpool midfield. So, yeah, we've got both of those to be carded. So that is Liverpool to score three or more goals, Jota to get at least one of those goals, and Pogba and Matic to be carded. That was 40-1, to one, uh, boosted to 50-1. to one. So mm. big, big price. Uh, Liverpool, Manchester United then. Martin, predictions for this one? Uh, it's Josh who submitted this preview. Uh, the Manchester United fan, he's gone for 5-0 to Liverpool. <laughs> so a repeat of the reverse... Club. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan? I think United will just look to avoid embarrassment, so it'll be a bit tighter. I'm going 3-1 for Liverpool. I've said 3-0 to Liverpool. Let's look at the top four race, or dawdle, as we've got down on the script here. I mean, it is embarrassing, Jonathan, that Manchester United are even in contention, given the season that they've had, but nobody seems to want that last Champions League space this season. Uh, embarrassing? Uh, yeah, Tottenham had a terrible start. Let's, let's not forget that. Arsenal also had a terrible start. So that, that, that's why it is a race still, why, why it isn't over. Um, but it, it's more... More than being embarrassing, it's just an indictment of modern football that even when these teams have, have either started really badly or are playing really badly on a consistent basis, they're still one of them is going to finish in the top four because the advantages they have are such that other teams can't can't close that gap. Maybe West Ham, if they hadn't had the Europa League, would have been able to, but <clears throat> I don't blame West Ham at all for focusing on the Europa League. You know, I, I think that's the right thing to do to, to, to try and win the competition. To 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 sort of go go deep in a competition that's different from the norm that that, that their fans have, have really embraced and that um, they seem really to be enjoying. Um, so, I mean, Tottenham obviously have a have a three point advantage. Arsenal have a game in hand. Tottenham also have an advantage. Their goal difference is much better. It's ten better than either United or, or Arsenal. And I think Tottenham probably have the easiest running. That United is after Liverpool. They've still got to go away to Arsenal. And they got Chelsea at home. Uh, Arsenal play Chelsea away midweek. Uh, then United, and they've got to go to Tottenham. Whereas Tottenham, apart from the Arsenal game, there's no really big side. That they, and also they finish off Burnley Norwich, which is probably about as gentle as you're going to get. Albeit Burnley may still be battling to survive by then. Um, Having said that, Brentford away is their next game. At the minute, doesn't look as easy as it might have done two mm. or three weeks ago. But I still think Tottenham have probably got the preferable fixtures. The fact they have that advantage of 
of goal difference. And I also think that defeat to Brighton on Saturday, it, 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 it felt like a blip. You know, the, the way Tottenham been playing recently, I suppose you're going to tell me that they, they were lucky against Villa. That, very, that, for, very, very fortunate, Jonathan. Very um, fortunate indeed. I, I, know, there's a, there's a, I know it was 4-0, but there's a level of truth to that. Um, but still, I sort of feel Tottenham's curve is upwards, whereas the other two uh, uh, are not. And of course, Arsenal do have the William Gallas derby this weekend. Not this weekend, this week away at Chelsea. Tough game. Chelsea seems to have picked up a little bit, in my opinion, Martin. They're starting to look like themselves a little bit more now. What, what's gone wrong for Arsenal? Is it, is it squad depth? You know, the injuries have, have really seemed to have come at a bad time for them. And is it just a lack of squad depth that's caught up with them? Or is there something more sinister going on? In my opinion, it's it's those injuries and it's come at a really bad time. Like Jonathan says, Chelsea, Man U, they've got West Ham after that as well, away from home, then Leeds, then Tottenham. So I think they're in, in real, real trouble. And uh, we did look into the ratings of the sort of, of the teams that each team has left to play in that race. And it is Tottenham that have the easiest run in uh, according to our ratings, Manchester United with the hardest. But yeah, Arsenal's is is not straightforward, even though they've got that game in hand. And if you just look at the the players that have come in for the for the four players that were missing, so they're, they're without Tomiyasu, Tierney, Party, and Lacazette at the weekend. The replacements are Cedric, Tavares, Lukonga, and Nketiah. And the, 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 that starting lineup was is not great. Like when you look at it, and I do I do think it's just. Arsenal probably still just punching above their weight, to be honest. In terms of their squad squad depth, it's just not there. Their starting 11's decent, and obviously they've got really good young players that set them up for a promising future, but they need a big, big transfer window, in my opinion. They need to sign four or five very solid, uh, at least a couple of players to go into the starting 11, and then an, another three or four that improve the squad, because the squad just isn't there. I think if you, to my mind, I'm, I have a weird thing where I think I look at a lot of the time I look at tables and I sort it by goal difference to sort out which teams are actually the strongest. And Jonathan alluded to it there. Tottenham's goal difference is a lot stronger than Manchester United's and Arsenal's and West Ham's. And I just think they're, they're that sort of level above just because they've got that front three. And Arsenal at the moment don't even have a striker who can score goals. Yeah, so they've had 74 shots across their last five games have scored once. Uh, so that's that's a problem. Someone else you can't really dress up at the moment is Romelu Lukaku, Jonathan. Flop of the season, if it's not him, who would it be? I, I, I don't think it's the worst signing of the season. I think that's Ronaldo. But um... <laughs> Ronaldo scoring, though. Lukaku's doing absolutely nothing. And Costa it's what he's really... done to the team, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's what he's done to the club. The, the, he's completely destroyed the club. Um, the, the, okay, he's got however many goals he's got, but... Um, <laughs> so what? What have they done with them? They've done nothing with them. They've helped them avoid embarrassment occasionally. I mean, well done. Um, so the uh, Kaku, I, I, you know, his stats are obviously going to be worse than Ronaldo's, but I still think there's a possibility that the Kaku could come good. I mean, it's a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but it's it's, it's not totally impossible. At least he's got resale value. Um, and at least he hasn't financially crippled you and stopped you getting Antonio Conte and stopped you getting Declan Rice. On the Ronaldo front, I don't think he's been the biggest flop of the season. But if you're talking about worst signings, I think he's definitely up there. Uh, we did look at the biggest sort of rating decrease from last season uh, in our ratings. Uh, Jaden Sancho is actually top uh, for us. Uh, Lukaku is second. And then it's Rashford, who would probably be 
up there as, as my flop of the season. I would probably say Rashford or Maguire as the flop of the season, uh, just for how bad they've actually been. Uh, but these things are all related, right? The Rashford playing badly, Maguire playing badly, exactly. Sanchez struggling to settle, Ronaldo arriving at the club. <laughs> yeah, there are yeah. there is a relationship there. But yeah, in the, in the top, so in the top six or the bottom six or whatever you want to call it of the biggest drop-offs, Sancho, Lukaku, Ronaldo, and Grealish are all in the bottom six, and those were the four big signings this summer, and and none of them has have paid off to now. At the least, big signings but, don't work. Look, look at the twenty-five no, yeah. most expensive signings in history. There's about two of them you can say were successes. Yeah, I think uh, Sancho and and Grealish obviously, I, I think they've got time to turn it around I struggle to see a way back for Lukaku especially with Havertz and Werner actually now looking pretty useful um, alongside each other Lukaku obviously came on a big miss at the, in the cup semi-final as well uh, I'm just not sure I can see a way back um, well the way him. back would be if Tuchel left yeah, that, yeah. it's very it hard to see a way back you. under Tuchel Basically, and, yeah. and I mean we just don't know what's going to happen with, with the new owners and whether they will want to work with Tuchel or Tuchel will want to work, work with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if I was United, I think I'd have Tuchel above Ten Hag in my, uh, yeah, in my, my shortlist. Oh. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Too, probably too late for that now, isn't it? It's looking like Ten Hag is, is going to Manchester. You know, well, he, it's agreed, isn't it? He's, mm-hmm. he's going there. But I, I see what you're saying. You, you could have held on and waited to see what happened with Tuchel because he'd be a huge loss for Chelsea. Fantastic. Well, the, the only thing I'd say about that, I mean, it, it, it hasn't formally been announced, has it? No. And he definitely has two offers from Germany. And I just wonder whether his demands over control will be acceptable to to the Glazers. Who knows? In Manchester United, they'll probably just agree to it and then do the complete opposite of, of what they say anyway, because that seems to be the way. Is that Manchester United have not come off well in this podcast? We've got well, On Lukaku, sorry, I did have a few stats. He's actually he's got the same number of goals this season from more minutes, obviously. He's not played a lot of minutes, but he's played more minutes than Adamola Lookman, Kucho Hernandez, and Johan Visser. And they've all scored the same number of goals as Lukaku from less minutes. Uh, Tyler, like, I think even like, it's, it's just he's not really having, not even before he dropped out of the side, just wasn't really having that many chances. He just wasn't linking with the rest of the team. Tyler Roberts has had more shots from fewer minutes. Stuart Armstrong's had more shots from fewer minutes. Jay Rodriguez has had more shots from fewer minutes. So, yeah, it has not worked at all. Uh, and it's partly system, partly player, partly, obviously, the sort of internal dynamics, the relationship between him and Tuchel is just broken down. But, yeah, it's 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 not backfired because they've done fine, but it hasn't panned out how they expected at all, for sure. He did, of course, get three goals in two games against Aston Villa Football Club, though, of yeah, course, you've as, you will, as you will know, Martin. Prop you up, yeah. Yeah, lovely. Only good games he's had all season were against Villa. Combined 11 then. How many from Arsenal make that combined 11? For who scored lineup? There are three. We do have a relatively unprecedented uh, situation where Aaron Ramsdale and Edouard Mendy have an identical rating. Uh, so there? How do we uh, we've given it to Ramsdale because he's played one more game. <laughs> Couldn't really... Uh, judge it any other way uh, we've got a 3-4-3 three, three. the back three is all Chelsea Christensen Silva Rudiger uh, uh, the midfield four is all Chelsea Reese James Kovacic Mount Alonso and then uh, we have Saka and Smith Rowe either side of Kai Havertz if I'm playing a back I don't, the only the only ask player who gets in is if I if, if I played a 43-1 I'd probably have Saka in the in the three Otherwise, it's all Chelsea. So, Jonathan, what's your prediction for this one? Uh, 2-0 Chelsea. 2-0 to Chelsea. Martin? 
2-1 to Chelsea. I'm going to go 2-0 to Chelsea as well. Right then, the worst sacking of all time, Jonathan, in my opinion. Sean Dyche getting the boot towards the back end <laughs> of the season. It has got panned, that sacking, and I think rightly so. Is there any world in which this is a good decision from Burnley? I suppose if they stay um, it's a good decision. If they stay it's a good decision. I assume the stuff we don't know. To sack him with, what, eight games to go, uh, you know, that's just about the right time for a last roll of a dice. But you need somebody ready to come in, and they, they don't seem to have that, which makes no it No one very, ever very seems hard. to have anyone ready to come in nowadays. The last few seconds, it feels like there's been no one ready to come in. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, maybe people close to the club will know whether Dyche's presence had become sort of toxic and, and players felt they couldn't work under, under him anymore. I, I, but that certainly wasn't the impression you got from the outside. Um, but I think there must have been something else has gone on, um, whether that's a disagreement with the board or, or, or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it feels, it feels pretty odd. Then, you know, if, if Corne had scored that penalty against West Ham and had won that game, maybe mm. we'd have been saying, you know, that it, it was genius. But I also sort of think if you're in Burnley's position and you're thinking, well, there's a better than evens chance we're going down, who do you want to try and get, get them back? And I'd still say the best person is probably Sean Dyche. Uh, I guess maybe these new owners look at it and think, well, he's got Maxwell Corne, he's got um, Veghorst. Those are two Champions League strikers. And he's not really getting the best out of them. Is he, is he actually the best manager for that type of player? And maybe he's not, but but the, it's the lack of a replacement that seems very, very odd to me. I would suggest that, obviously, I, I completely agree. I think something's obviously happened behind closed doors because just the timing of the decision otherwise is, is really bizarre. Um, but I think uh, if you look at the stats, and obviously he, you can only deal with the players that you're working with, but if they're seeing it as look, there's a decent chance we go down, we've signed a certain profile of player that we haven't signed in the past, is that a sign that the new owners want to look at a stylistic change? And if they do, then uh, while it's a weird decision and he'd probably get them back up, then they're within their rights to make that change if they feel like they want to go in a different direction. Because if you look at the stats... They're bottom for possession, 38.6%. Bottom for pass accuracy, 19th for shots. Last for shots on target, 19th for shots conceded as well. Um, so they're not good stats. Uh, and you, like I said, you can only deal with what you've got. And he hasn't been backed um, throughout his time at the club, at least. Um, but if they do want to change stylistically, then I, I feel like that's maybe what's inspired it. And they're thinking that, if we go down, we go down, but let's try and come back swinging. Let's do the just a minute section then. Unusual because there's only a few games for us to go through. Jonathan, we'll start with you. It's Everton v Leicester, the Tony Cotty Darba. Everton, three points to leave the relegation zone and they've played uh, a game fewer than Burnley. So they, they, they look in a pretty strong position, but uh, they've only won three games out of 10 in the league under Lampard. Uh, they've had some pretty shocking performances in that time. Uh, I think already there were questions over over the appointment whether it was a good idea. Um, yeah, I was I was at the game when they lost at West Ham, and 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 Lampard seemed relatively happy with that, but it seemed a pretty pretty flat, pretty dismal performance to me. The the one good thing you'd say for them going into this game is they have won three out of the five at home, and the other two have been against City and Wolves. So it's a difficult games. It does seem they're a different side at home. Uh, this is a, this is big for them because they've got Liverpool away and Chelsea home coming up, so they could get back into trouble. Um, 
Injuries continue to blight them. Uh, Mina, Van der Beek, Doubts, Patterson, Davis and Townsend all out. Leicester without Vardy, uh, Bertrand, Ward and Didi. Uh, they've had a slight uptick recently, but probably not enough. I'd say 2-1 to Everton. 2-2 from me. Martin, who scored? 1-0. Uh, Martin, your first one to look at is Newcastle v Palace, the Johan Kabaydab. After their late 2-1 win over Leicester, Newcastle's winning streak at home has now stretched to five matches, which is something only Liverpool and City can better all season. The Magpies are now just three points off the top half and rank eighth in the table from the day Eddie Howe took charge. Bruno Guimaraes scored his first goals at St James's Park to earn the win, and after a slow integration into the team, he now looks every bit the player that the club wanted to build the future around. Uh, Palace may well feel they missed an opportunity to really have a go at Chelsea in the FA Cup. Patrick Vieira opting for a back five in that game. The absence of Blues low knee, uh, Conor Gallagher was predictably felt. He'll return for the trip north, while Michael Elise will also hope to be back in the eleven, and being only deemed fit for the bench at Wembley. Klein was uh, somewhat surprisingly re- uh, dropped to the bench. Uh, Guaita will return in goal. Could be a change up front, with Mateta now starting the last seven in all competitions, so he could be rotated. Since a 5-1 win for Palace in this fixture back in 2015, only one of the last ten meetings has seen more than two goals with Newcastle winning four to Palace's three. Newcastle haven't won six in a row in the top flight at home since 2004, when they beat Everton 4-2 under Sir Bobby Robson, courtesy of goals from Bellamy, Dyer and Shearer Brace. There's a big opportunity to do just that on Wednesday. We're going 2-1 Newcastle. 2-0 to Newcastle from me. Jonathan? 2-0 for me. 2-0 as well. Don't take liberties, Martin, because we've got less games to go over. It's still just a minute. Yeah, it did feel like a long one, yeah, but I did like well over. Uh, I did like the Bobby Robson sort of uh, hark okay. back to that. Sort of, right. I okay. needed to include it. Okay, right. Manchester City v Brighton. Jonathan, I've not got a derby for that at all. City haven't won in three, which seems weird because they're, they're, they're playing very well at the moment. I think that stat is slightly misleading, uh, given that two of those games have been against Liverpool and one of them the second leg against Atletico when they were probably more than happy with that 0-0 draw. Um, as a result of that, they only won three of the last seven, they won six of the last 11, but I don't think there's anything particularly alarming in those stats. Brighton's form has improved a lot recently, taking seven points from the last three games, although that does include a 0-0 draw against Norwich. Uh, and that comes after a run of six defeats. Their issue, as ever, is scoring goals, um, as in that nil-nil against Norwich. Uh, that was part of a run of seven games in training. He scored once. Uh, Trossar has scored in each of the last two games. That's clearly important. And um, Mwepu uh, has also scored. And I think his link-up with Basuma in the field looks really important. And maybe... Maybe their physicality couldn't settle City a bit. Carl Walker's a doubt for this one, and that can cause problems because they don't really have a left-back they can trust anymore. Bruno, um, uh, uh, Ruben Diaz uh, uh, could be back. Duffy and Modera out for Brighton. Uh, and I'm going to say 2-0 to City. 2-1 to Manchester City from me. Martin? Yeah, just 1-0 to Manchester City. Well, more tighter than perhaps you would have expected our predictions to be. Final game is Burnley v Southampton. Again, nothing on the derby front from me, Martin. Jonathan, uh, have you got anything? Chris Baird. Chris Baird, well done. Oh, that would do. Excellent show. Yeah. Burnley, Southampton then, Martin. Manager left Burnley missed a huge chance to move within a point of Everton after Cornet missed from the spot with the chance to put the Clarets two up against West Ham. Remains to be seen at the time of the recording if they'll have a new man in charge come Thursday. But whomever is in the dugout will know that wins in their remaining four home games will be vital to their survival hopes. Captain Ben Mee is among those in interim charge at present and will hope to lead by example before... Uh, 
long-term leg injury has left him out. Ashley Westwood is now out for the season as well. Southampton did what they usually do after getting battered and bounced back with a solid performance and even better result against Arsenal. Forster was the star of the show at the weekend. Uh, they've only scored three goals in six top flight trips to Turf Moor, but did win this fixture 1-0 last season. Burnley have scored seven across said meetings, five of which have been scored by Ashley Barnes. It's not started since September, though, so probably not one to bring into your fancy football team. The Clarets will instead hope Valkveghorst can back up his goal at the weekend, with the Dutchman having had as many shots in his first three Burnley games as he has in his last ten. Uh, we're going one all Burnley Southampton. One nil Burnley from me, Jonathan. One all. One all for you as well. That does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast. We're going to be back on Friday to preview all the weekend's Premier League action. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on. Let's get them subscriber numbers up. Enjoy your week. Enjoy all the football. And as ever, please stay safe. Mm-hmm.